Hello, welcome back to part two of our Europe Now programme from Malta. If you missed part one, you can go and find it on the France 24 website. Well, right now we've brought you to an entry point into several of the harbours and ports here in Malta, places where over the years a great number of undocumented migrants have disembarked onto the island. I'm sure many of you know that Malta is one of the major entry points into the European Union for asylum seekers, and we're going to go and meet one of them now. His name is Felix. He's from Cameroon originally. We're also going to meet a woman who's joining efforts to inform and reach out to migrants via a charity radio station. Hi, Felix. Thanks for meeting us. Tell me, when did you arrive here in Malta? Je suis parti du Cameroun en 2015. I left Cameroon in 2015. We reached Nigeria, where we had to work for a while, then Niger, then Algeria. After Algeria, Libya, where we crossed, and the crossing was very difficult. We were in inflatable boats, completely overloaded. On the 22nd of November 2019, I arrived in Malta after crossing the sea from Libya. Once in Malta, the situation was still difficult. I spent eight months in detention without being told why. We didn't know why we were being held in prison. There were eight men in each shipping container with bunk beds, no heating, and even the windows were broken. About your treatment in detention, can you tell me a bit more? We would shout, freedom, freedom, freedom. You have to free us because we don't know why we're here. One night, policemen arrived. They shut off the lights. They made everyone go outside. Some people got hit with rubber bullets in the chest. We just asked why we were there. And what's your daily life like now? There aren't really integration lessons. We do casual work that most Maltese people can't do, like in construction, or cleaning, or in hotels and the like. The situation for migrants here in Malta is quite problematic. Thank you for telling us about your experience. Let's go inside the radio station. Thank you. Lorraine Fodso is French. She's one of the small team at African Media Association Malta, where Félix has recently been invited to share his experiences. We're here to tell your stories, because you're better placed to talk about your experiences than official spokespeople. It's a radio station that has a lot of African listeners, but also a lot of Maltese intellectuals. You'd be quite surprised to know who listens to us. It's also a charity that does a lot of projects that get European Union funding. These projects aim to better integrate Africans into European society. Do you believe that this radio station can genuinely have a positive impact, that it can really help to improve conditions for Africans in Malta? Yes, I strongly believe that, because I can see the differences between what I saw five years ago when I arrived in Malta 
when other media talk nonsense about particular communities, especially the African community, and African media reacts. It gets people talking. So, yes, with time, we are changing people's mindsets. And I'm optimistic that in the end we will succeed. My name is Nina Gregory. I'm the executive uh, director of the newly established European Agency for the Asylum, based here in Valletta, Malta. We are here to support the member states when it comes to the issues of asylum and also of the reception. According to, of course, our observations, analysis, and together with the member states involved, we can also propose to, in a way, of course, come and support if this is needed. I think that if we, as Europe, would achieve to have fast and efficient asylum procedures, that would bring a lot of clarity in our systems and the management migration would be more efficient. Out of the 600,000 or so people who came and claimed asylum in the EU in 2021, what are the main countries that they're coming from? It's uh, Syria, they're coming from Iraq, Pakistan, also Northern African countries, and of course also the African Horn. Um, so this hasn't changed much. Of course, people that are living in difficult circumstances in their countries of origin, they are coming to Europe and they will keep coming. Here in Malta, for example, there have been a lot of reports from migrants that they've been facing very bad treatment in some of the detention facilities. What's the agency's involvement in that aspect? Of course, there are European standards that European member states should adhere to, and we are helping them to achieve that. Um, here in Malta, we are um, basically trying to, in a way, improve the capacity building of the reception situation with Maltese authorities together, of course. So one focus in Malta is um, the Adalan procedure, but the other part is also to improve the reception conditions in, in the uh, reception camps. Of course, this agency, like all EU agencies, is a, a non-political body. But of course, asylum is such a hugely political issue. Do you sense resistance from the member states in improving those asylum facilities? Because we know in a lot of them, there's pushback against that. People saying if you make it, quote unquote, too nice for asylum seekers, it will attract people and a lot of Europeans don't want that. I think that that was a bit of a, let's, if I may use the word, old political narrative, I think it was. I think that the conditions are really heavily improving. I'm super, really proud to say that we really invested a lot together, of course, with the European Commission in this situation in, in, in Greece in particular. You remember um, Moria situation and the camps, there are people really living in horrible conditions. But now this has really much improved and I'm happy that we are able to contribute to that through, of course, our support in, to the individual specific cases. Moving on from the subject of migration to another area where Malta stands out among its European neighbours, that of abortion rights. This is the only country in the EU where it is completely illegal in all circumstances, though in reality three to four hundred are carried out here every year. Luke Brown tells us more. I was pregnant and it was, um, of course, a shock to me because I wasn't expecting uh, that situation. But in the next day, I ordered uh, abortion pills 
Um, as you know, um, abortion is illegal in Malta. The other option that I had was to, was to go abroad. Patient A is one of an estimated 300 women who terminate their pregnancy every year in Malta. She doesn't want her identity to be known because abortion is a crime punishable with three years in jail. For years, she saved money for an abortion fund in case she fell pregnant. You know what annoys me a bit? The, the mentality that if you're a woman, you have to accept your situation, that you can't do anything about it. We say, Maltese, um, why, did, why did she open her legs? Like, like it does not take two partners to, to, you know, to conceive. Patient A learnt about her options from the Family Planning Advisory Service, a legal pro-choice helpline run by volunteers. Gynaecologist Isabel Stabile helped set it up in 2019 to push back against the official line. The women and girls who need our help are not getting the help they need. Frankly, I feel this is, uh, we're providing a disservice, a disservice to, to just not just from a, um, a cultural point of view, but also from a, from a medical point of view. You know, my hands are literally tied by the law. Well, this is wrong. Malta has the most restrictive reproduction rights in the European Union. The morning after pill was only legalized in 2016, and pharmacies can refuse to provide it on conscientious grounds. At the International Women's Day March in Valletta, access to abortion is a key demand. Politicians can no longer run away from the reality that is going on in our country. We are a democratic country. We are proud to be progressive in, in our even um, equality laws, such as you know, LGBTI and marriage equality. And I think it's high time that now we start recognising women's rights and access to abortion care as being equally a uh, fundamental human right for them too. Both the main political parties are officially anti-abortion. But a new generation of politicians could bust that taboo. 29-year-old Emma Portelli Bonici is running in her first election. She's pro-choice, a personal stance, not a political vote winner. The reality is that they have been happening forever. The only thing that a ban on abortion ensures is that people will be getting unsafe abortions and people who need them, need to access them and cannot, will not. And unfortunately, that creates a social and economic disparity insofar as who can access abortion. Two-thirds of Maltese oppose decriminalisation, a legacy of the historical dominance of the Catholic Church. For the pro-life camp, having Maltese MEP Roberta Metzola as president of the European Parliament could further their cause. Roberta Metzola, in her position, while being the president, she also needs to remember that she represents the minority, which at the moment are the people who are defending life. That echoes the debate in the EU's other most abortion-restrictive country, Poland. Last year, pro-choice campaigners protested against the new law banning almost all forms of abortion. Many now fear backsliding from the EU. We are also afraid because this would be a great help for us if Malta introduced progressive uh, pro-abortion law. Malta's national curriculum still promotes abstinence as the principal form of contraception. This year, the NGO Doctors for Choice is publishing this pamphlet with more realistic alternatives like condoms. To introduce you to one of Malta's highest profile figures of the moment, we have to take you away from the islands to the European Parliament in Strasbourg. Nationalist Party MEP Roberta Medzola was recently elected as the Parliament's youngest ever president and only the third woman ever to hold the position. We've never really seen Malta as small. Uh, I think it's a matter of a strength and size of arguments rather than geography. Mm. Uh, I, I belong to the Erasmus generation that uh, didn't distinguish between new, old, north, south. It's just that 
we uh, uh, looked at the European Union as a grouping of millions of citizens to which we could form part of because that was a protection of a better standard of life, living, ha having better values, uh, protection from the rule of law, uh, uh, media freedom, etc. So when you look at now the, the position I hold, I would say this is a big deal. Uh, the, uh, also the fact that for the first time in 20 years, the European Parliament has elected uh, a woman. And I said in my inaugural speech that uh, I will do everything in my power to make sure that we won't have another 20 years before uh, the European Parliament has a woman as its president. Looking at your inaugural speech as the European Parliament president, uh, you talked about how the Parliament impacts on EU citizens. Do you think that it, there could come a time in the next few years, for example, where Malta could be ready to at least start having a conversation conversation about abortion rights. We saw, for example, during the COVID lockdowns that there were a lot of women who found themselves in very difficult situations. Uh, the debate is, has started. There is a lot of discussion. Uh, I would not in any way preempt the outcome of that debate. And I would also say very clearly that this is a national competence and that is up to national parliament to decide uh, on that or not. Another major issue uh, for Malta, uh, still tremors running through Maltese society after the murder of Daphne Caruana Galizia, the journalist in 2017. Uh, do you see that Malta is moving in the right direction? Well, all steps or progress is welcome, but we are nowhere near the ultimate aim of looking and finding the truth and making sure that justice is served. This European Parliament stood up immediately to say that we will not stop before justice is served. And that is why on my first official visit to Malta, I made it a point to visit the place where Daphne was assassinated, meet with her family, her children, her parents and her husband in order to reiterate that commitment. Not only also in Malta, there are journalists in other uh, member states who have been killed, Jan Kutsia precisely four years ago, for example, together with his fiancée. That is also a case that we will continue to pursue because the European Union needs to be a safe haven for journalists and that is what we are committed to. Before we leave you, a word about Malta and the COVID-19 pandemic. This country had one of the fastest and most comprehensive vaccination campaigns in the whole EU. But here, as in other places, fake news about the jabs continues to circulate, as Sophie Samai explains. Have deaths from COVID-19 been higher in the most vaccinated European countries? This false theory has been popular on social networks based on claims by the French doctor Didier Raoult that vaccination has increased COVID-19 infections. What we're seeing and analysing is that vaccines have worsened the epidemic. According to this tweet, statistics would seem to illustrate that vaccines are the problem. The stats in Europe show a generalised excess death rate in 2021 since using the vaccine in adolescents, 15 to 44-year-olds and 45 to 64-year-olds. The graph comes from the Euromomo project, a European excess death monitoring network supported by organisations including the WHO. We can see on the chart that excess deaths, meaning deaths beyond what we'd expect in non-pandemic times, have increased in Europe since early 2020. But 
when we compare the different situations in individual countries, those with the highest vaccination rate, such as Malta, with 87% of its population jabbed, have not seen a significant rise in excess deaths. On the contrary, excess deaths in Europe are primarily seen in Eastern European countries, where the vaccination rate is lower. Notably, in Bulgaria, where the vaccination rate is at 28%, the lowest in Europe, while correspondingly, according to Euromomo, its excess death rate is the highest on the continent. Well, that's it for this edition of Europe Now. Thank you so much for watching. We will leave it there and hope to see you soon on France 24.